spent the last three weeks, and now this is the fourth week, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because it's a chapter dedicated to questions about the resurrection of Jesus. So we obviously we've chosen it to do it here as it bumps up against Easter. And this morning we're going to be looking at nine verses that begin in verse 20 and go through 28. And if you're not using a Bible, the, the blue Bible in front of you is page 961. And all, all the sermons, it's helpful to see the text in front of you as we talk about it, but today maybe particularly. And then as you find that, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, would you turn back left just a few pages to Romans chapter 5, Romans 5, 942, if you're using the Pew Bible. So 1 Corinthians 15... Romans chapter 5. Let's stand together as we read God's Word. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when it says, all things are put in subjection. It is plain that he's, he is expected, that he is accepted through those who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Romans chapter 5, let's look at verse 12 and then verse 18. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience that many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. You may take a seat and take a few moments to reflect on God's Word. This morning, I want to talk to you a few minutes about worldview. It's probably a, a phrase that most of us have heard and are somewhat familiar with. It's basically how you think about the world, how you view the world. That's your worldview. And it might be easiest to think about it as like a frame, like a picture frame. And so you experience your life through this picture frame, and you try to answer the big questions about life, and you have experiences in life, and everything fits into your, your worldview. So how did, how did this world begin would be a big question, and how you answered that would be a part of this frame. How, that would be part of your worldview. What am I doing here? What's, what's my purpose in life? Is there meaning in life? Your, your answer to that kind of question is your worldview. Is there, 
Why is there suffering? Or what's gone wrong with the world? What happens at the end? What happens at my end? Or does the world end? These are all big questions. And everybody has some kind of frame or they're working on some kind of frame. They, they experience something and they say, how does that fit together with what I believe? So you might have been watching the news this week and you've heard about this young man down in Texas who been, who's been setting off bombs. And if you're a parent trying to explain that to a child, you're explaining it through your worldview. Why, does this, why do these kinds of things happen? What's wrong with the world that somebody would do that? The way you answer that question is your worldview. Or if, like most of you, you're anticipating warmer weather, and you can't wait to go to the beach and watch the sun come over the, the water, and however you feel about that, your experience that tells you something about your worldview. So as a Christian, I look at that and say, all of creation is speaking out about God. And I just think about how that, how that beauty reveals God. Well, that's part of my framework. That's part of my worldview. And the Apostle Paul, in these nine verses in 1 Corinthians, he sketches out a little framework. He doesn't put everything he possibly could in the framework, but I think he gives us four sides to this picture that I want us to look about, look at, and he explains what's a biblical worldview. He sketches that out in these few verses. But before we talk about that, I want us to make sure we're we have some understanding of a few other sketches, because these are sketches that you may have come out of, a different worldview. Certainly, if you go into the world, different people will have a different frame in which they see the world. So there's the atheistic or materialistic worldview. You might remember I mentioned Stephen Hawking last week, and here was his quote, There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That's what he thinks of human beings. They're broken down computers. That's a fairy story for people who are afraid of the dark. Science can explain everything without the need of a creator. So that's Stephen Hawking's worldview. And that's a lot of atheists' worldview. Everything began with a big bang. Everything can be explained by science. There's no need for a creator. We are computers very intricate computers, but when your body breaks down and dies, that's it. It's over. And anybody who believes that there's some kind of afterlife or anything that's like heaven, they believe in a fairy tale. That's one worldview. Millions of people think that way. Buddhists. Uh, Buddha didn't explain how the world began. Buddha believed in the cycle of uh, uh, reincarnation. So life died and, and, and life came, or people died and people came back to life. So he didn't have a real for, good formula of how it all began. He didn't really talk too much about God. But here's how he summed up his worldview. It's called the Four Noble Truths. Suffering. Man's primary problem is suffering. So this is his frame. The, the big problem in the world is suffering. The, the origin of that suffering comes out of your cravings or your desires. So how do you get rid of those? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to get rid of those desires. That's the goal. And the way you get rid of them is you go down what he calls the eightfold path. 
So he looks into the world and sees there's all kinds of problems. The problems come from our desires or cravings. We've got to get rid of those desires. And then he gives you an eight-step program of basically how to work on that. And it does, you can't get it done in one lifetime. So you, get, you work on it, and hopefully you get better at it, but you get several lives to get a chance. And then once you finally get to the end where you've really gotten rid of your desire, here's a quote from one of the sites on Buddhism. You reach nirvana, which is explained as, quote, complete cessation of existence. It's the end of the cycle of rebirth where all passions have been extinguished. So that's heaven. The, the complete cessation of your existence and there are no passions in heaven. So if, that's, if you're a Buddhist, that's your worldview. You see everything through that frame. If you're a Muslim... You believe that there is one God, Allah, but he is unknowable. To have any kind of personal relationship with, with that God is blasphemy. There was a Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve were in it, but they didn't sin. They just stumbled. And they stumbled badly and they need to get back right with God. So there's a program. There's five pillars of faith. These are things that you need to do. You they stumbled, we all stumble, we live in a, in a world where we're going to sin, and so there's five things that we need to do. We need to take a pilgrimage, and we need to have prayers, and we need to give money away. And if we're doing those things, those are the things that we hope are going to get us to heaven, which does exist if you're uh, a Muslim. The problem is it's based on your works, so there's always a nervousness as to whether I've done enough of these five things to get in. That's a concern. And here's how the Koran writes what happens at the end. Every man's fate we have fastened on his own neck. On the day of judgment we shall bring out for him a scroll which he will see spread wide open. And it will be said to him, read your own record. So hopefully when you read your record, you've got a lot of the things in the five pillars that you've done to sort of overwhelm the, the bad things that you've done. That's, that's your worldview. Paul was fighting against this Greek worldview, which isn't super fleshed out, but one of the things that they thought was that the body was bad. Flesh was bad. And we're stuck in a prison of flesh, and when we die, our spirit goes to heaven and it's released from this prison that's a body. And so when Paul comes back in and says, Jesus rose from the dead, and he said, by his body, they were like, no way. We, nobody would want that. Nobody wants the body. Everybody wants to get away from the body. And so that's why in chapter 15, verse 12, there were some people in the church were saying, well, I think Jesus rose from the dead, but it was sort of a spiritual thing. It wasn't a bodily thing because nobody actually wants their body back. And you might be saying, I don't know if I want my body back. But Paul's saying, no, you get a new body and it's like Jesus. And so here's where we're going to begin this framework. Paul, again, we're going we're gonna to run through a lot of huge questions. You're going to say, oh, say something about that. And I just don't have time. He just is going to scratch out a little frame. And here's the top part of the frame, verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a 
supposed to have a biblical framework where you see, and everything hangs for Paul and Christians on this one reality. Did Jesus actually rise from the dead bodily? And if he didn't, then we're all stuck. Paul says, we're the most to be pitied because we've, we've believed in this fairy tale. So everything believes on this news, uh, hangs on this news that Jesus has been raised from the dead. We talked about it in our affirmation of faith. He actually came back. People saw him. 500 at one time. One of those people was the Apostle Paul. And so when, as Christians, we're, we're telling the story about who Jesus is, we're telling news of something happened. We're not giving advice. We're not saying, hey, here are five things or eight things that you should do in order to get, get to God. We're saying, here's news about how God got to you. And it's good news. He's coming all the way to bring you back home to him. So that's the, that's the top part of the frame. Really, we've talked about that for the last two weeks. Everything hangs on that piece of the frame. Then I might say everything, we rest everything in the second part or the bottom part of the frame. Again, verse 20. Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or those who are dead. That's just a way of saying the same thing. That Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, first fruits is an agricultural term. And most of any of you have a, a garden at your home? You plant stuff? Not too many gardeners here. All right. I, I love gardening. And uh, at this point in southeastern North Carolina, we're in zone 8. You're supposed to be preparing your soil. Because somewhere between April 1st and May 1st, you're going to go to Lowe's or Home Depot. And if you're a nerd like me, I just love going there in the springtime. And all those little plants... They're just begging you, take me home, put me in your garden, right? And you get a box of like 12 tomato plants. You couldn't possibly use them all. And you feel a little bad about throwing them away, really, honestly, at home. But you, you plant the ones that you think are healthiest, and two to three months later or so, depending on what you're planting, squash or corn or beans or tomatoes, what happens? Fruit, a, a vegetable comes out. And you know as the gardener, if you've prepared the soil well, if you've got a good plant, and you get a perfect tomato as the first one, you're feeling good the rest of the season, right? Because you're going, oh, I got a good one the first one. All the fruit comes, that's the first fruit. All the fruit that comes in behind it, I'm feeling good about the, the next row, the next group that comes in, the next bunch of squash or zucchini or whatever you planted comes in. And that's exactly what Paul's trying to do. They understand agriculture. They understand if you get a good one first, then you're going to have a, a good, good ones come behind. And Paul's trying to say, Jesus is the first fruit. He's the prime example of everyone that's going to follow. And he's the perfect fruit. He gets this perfect resurrected body. And if he got a perfect resurrected body, then Paul Phillips, who's going to come in behind him later in the, in the harvest, he's going to get a perfect resurrected body. And you might say, well, what is that body going to be like? And that's really a question that gets answered more in next week's text. So we'll talk a little bit about that next week. So Paul's trying to say, Jesus actually came out from the grave, so one day you're going to follow him. He, you might say, he bloomed out of the tomb. And one day we're going to 
bloom out of our own tomb. We're going to be the next part of that fruit that comes from that vine. So that's, that's the, we're hanging everything on Jesus actually rose from the dead. We're depending on the fact that we are going to rise from the dead. So when I do a funeral here at Christ Community Church, this is our hope. We've, we've, put, we've staked everything on this thing that, that the person who's died isn't going to stay in that state forever. They're actually going to come out of the grave just like Jesus did 2,000 years ago. So these are, this is the top and the bottom of our frame of our biblical worldview. And then on one side, I'm asking this question. Why was Christ's life, death, and resurrection even necessary? As Christians, we'll say the Apostles' Creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son. I believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of Virgin Mary, suffered, crucified, dead, buried. On the third day, He rose again. Okay, that's what we believe. But why did that need to happen? If you're a Christian, just think, well, how do I answer that? Why is it necessary that God comes down and he dies and raises from the dead? Why, why would we even think that's important? Well, Paul sketches out very finely an answer here. You see it in verse 21 and 22. Two phrases. For as by man came death. Next verse. For as in Adam all die. Now, let's just revisit uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death came in by this one man and then it spread to all men. Verse 18, same thing. One trespass led to the condemnation for all men. So that's a biblical worldview answer. That, that the reason Jesus had to come and die for humanity is because sin entered through the porthole of just this one man. His name was Adam. So now, this is a huge part of this frame. And I don't have time to unpack it all, but let me just sort of think about it in bullet points. Number one, God created the world. Genesis 1 and 2. Second, Although everything God created was good, the, the pinnacle of his creation was humanity, Adam and Eve. And he gave Adam and Eve this particular charge. We find it in Genesis 1:26. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over all the earth. So nobody else has this image in creation, just God. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. Subdue it and rule over it. So on earth, Adam and Eve were God's representatives. They represented, just like you might say for your congressman or congresswoman, they're a representative for your district. They represent your voice in Washington. And for Adam and Eve, they represent God's voice down here on earth. And they're supposed to subdue and rule, subdue and rule. 
They're supposed to take all the potential that God had put into creation and use it in a way that would benefit them, that would create joy for them, would, would allow them to expand the garden across the globe so that they could fill up the earth. And all of that was supposed to glorify God. So they're like uh, vice regents or they're co-creators here with God on earth. They're not starting with nothing like God did. They're starting with the, the raw material that God has given them. And then they're going to take that material and they're going to fashion wonderful things that are, that are beautiful, exciting, and big, and uh, incredible. And they might, they might even land a person on the moon or go to Mars. They're going to do all these great things because God's put that potential in them and also in creation. But however they do it, however they subdue and rule over the world, is supposed to be in a way that's healthy for the world, healthy for civilization, and reflects back glory to God. That's the whole idea for Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3. Don't you just wish it stopped right there? Like, oh no, you know as a Christian, here comes Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve decided they'd rather live a disconnected life from God. Think about it if you're at the beach and somebody's flying a kite, right? Heavy wind, you got the right, you know, kite, you got the right string. And what if this, the kite's up there floating around doing exactly what it's designed to do? And it says, you know what's holding me back? This stupid string. If I could just get rid of this string, then I could really just fly as high as I wanted to. And Adam, like the stupid kite, cut off the string. But instead of Adam flying higher, what happened? You know, he fell to the ground. That's why in Genesis chapter 3, we call that the fall. Adam and Eve cut the cord between them and, and the Lord. And they thought it was going to bring them even better life, but they found out it was actually brought death itself. Not only the physical decay of their body, but separation from the Lord. And so when God's representative fell, then everything he was supposed to represent fell with him. That's how the Bible describes it. Everybody who every human being who comes out of this initial pair, which is everyone sitting here, got infected with the same sin Adam and Eve had. They passed that DNA on. And not only is it human beings, all of creation fell. Paul's talking about in Romans 8, the creation is groaning in eager expectation, waiting to be recast in, a, in the way it was at the very beginning of time. So from a biblical worldview, death, disease, divorce, disasters, they all come from a consequence of sin. That's what's behind these two little phrases, that death came from Adam. Now, that leads to a host of other questions. I realize that. Number one, why do we all get stuck with Adam? That's my first question. And I don't have time to answer that question. But I put some resources in the email this week that might be helpful to help to draw a conclusion for you. But the second question I do want to talk a bit about is, if that's reality, and I think I have just described the biblical worldview, is there any way to get a better representative? Is there? I mean, I'm under the line of Adam, and I, my question is, I'd like to get in a different line. Is there another representative who can represent me fairly? 
and 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 not and and uh, according to them, not according to Adam. And the answer is, what's the answer? Yes, this is the what. This is what's so good about the good news is that there is another representative, and the representative's name is Jesus. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, the world that decided to be disconnected from Him, God still loved. So He gave. He He came in the person of His only Son, a a perfect representative, a Second Adam came. That whoever believes in him, whoever lines up underneath of Christ, he shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now that's exactly what is happening in these texts. Look again with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 21 and 22. For as by a man came death, comma, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Same thing in verse 22. For as in Adam all died, comma, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So if you're underneath Adam, the trajectory for you is separation from God and death. And if you're underneath Christ, if he's your new representative, then you have hope for a resurrected body and eternal life. Look at Chapter 15, verse 45 with me quickly. Thus it is written. See this almost at the very end of the chapter. The first man, Adam, became a living being, but the last Adam, who's that? Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. Christ is the the last Adam. He's the, the last representative that we can line up underneath. He's the representative of a new group of people. And just like Adam, everybody who's a son or daughter daughter of Adam, they get stamped with their DNA. If you line up underneath Christ, you get stamped with his DNA. And part of that DNA is the resurrection of, of your body. That's such great news. Now, look, you might sit here and you could have a different worldview. That's fine. I'm not really trying to convince you now. I'm just trying to help you see what the Bible says. And you might think humans are just computers. And when they die, it's over. That'd just be a mighty struggle for me about meaning in life. Or you might think that there's some way I've got to work towards it. So, yeah, I'm stuck underneath some problem And I see there's another way, but it's up to me to get over there. And God is coming and saying, yeah, you're stuck, but it's up to me to come to you and bring you back underneath this new representative. And it's all going to be by my work, and that's called grace. That's the biblical worldview. That's that's why Jesus had to come and die, because we're all stuck underneath this representative of Adam. All right, so now last panel of our frame here. What should we expect at the end of time? Jesus actually rose from the dead. I'm trusting he's the first fruit that I am going to rise from the dead. The reason I even need this is because of Adam, but now I'm under a new representative. What's going to happen 
when I die, what's going to happen at the end of time? And Paul unpacks some really great truths that we don't have enough time to unpack here, but verse 23 through 28. Notice that, verse 23. But each in his own order. All right, so he's saying, okay, here's the order. How many people just love math? Nobody's going to raise your hand on that, right? Just three people. All engineers. But you remember, like, I don't remember when this is. Fourth, fifth, sixth grade. What do they have for math? You get a long mathematical equation, and what do they tell you? You've got to know the order of operations. You remember this? Some of you are going, this is why I hated math. You're, tell- you're reminding me. But right, and it's, well, there's a little acronym for it. You know what, you, how many remember this? Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Remember? Some of you are going, wow. I've got to remember this for Trivial Pursuit next time, right? But, but you can't start with subtracting, right? Because then you mess up the equation. You've got to start with the P. What's that? Yes, way to go. There's an order, so you, you can't get it out of order. You've got to do it in the right order. And Paul's basically saying, hey, there's a particular order of operations here. And the very first part of the order of operation is that Christ is raised from the, raised from the dead. Check. We've, that's happened. Second, then, so this is the next, okay, now here's the next thing. At his coming, so Christ is going to come back, and at his return, those who belong to Christ are going to be raised bodily from the dead. First thing that happens, Jesus is raised from the dead. Second thing, he comes back, and those who have lined up under him, who've put their trust in him, they're going to be raised from the dead. Verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, what's a trumpet? Signal for a king. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. That's going to be a great day. Question. What happens to my body in between? You have that question? Okay, so he rose from the dead, and he's gonna, he got a new body, and I'm going to raise from the dead and get a new body, but there's probably, unless the Lord comes back, going to be some space, Right? Space between when I'm in the ground and I get raised up from the ground. And that might be a day or it might be a thousand years or it might be 5,000 years. What happens right then? Don't you want to know the answer to that question? Well, I don't know what happens right then. Nobody can be sure. So it's just not like your pastor's, you know, got a C in his seminary classes. But here's what we can know for sure. Luke 23. I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Who does they say that to? Thief on the cross. So, so whatever happens after I die, today, right now, I'm going to go and be with Jesus in paradise. 2 Corinthians 5.8. Paul says this. I would prefer to be away from the body and be at home. With the Lord. So one thing we can be for sure is when we die, we're going to be in paradise and it's going to feel like, finally, I'm home. Finally, 
I am home. And I don't know if any of you all have this kind of longing. And you might not if you didn't grow up in a good home, but I remember when I went away from away, away to college, my mom made our home what it was. And I would go home and just stepping inside my kitchen with my mom baking the same things. You know, she when I come home, all Paul's favorites, right? That's what you're supposed to do. And it was like, it was something about my whole being just like, I'm home. And when she died, I've been waiting for home. I've been waiting for that home for 30 years. But my soul has been longing for an eternal home that that's only a small little piece of. That when you get there, you're going to say, I finally got home. Now, will we have a body in that time? Well, I don't know. Nobody's for sure. A general consensus is that you would have some kind of form because at the transfiguration, remember who shows up? Elijah and Moses. And they're recognizable in some way. They're not in their final form, but they're in some kind of form that's the beginning of this final form. Now, if you're a Christian, this is what we believe, is it not? Amen. And you are free to have another frame. But to me, this is, it's not just the truth. It's the best frame. It is the best frame. That God who made the world still loves you. He's still coming for you. He's not sitting there tapping his foot, hoping you can make it to him. And he will put you underneath Christ who's perfect. And his DNA gets stamped to your DNA. And so when I stand at the judgment, my, my, my sins are not going to come out and I'm going to have to get a, give an account for those things. Why? Because Jesus gave an account for those things. And he's going to say, welcome home. That's what we believe as Christians. Everyone has a worldview. And you should know what yours is. How do you make sense of the world? And if it's not a Christian worldview, I just plead with you to think through what the Bible has to say. If you have questions, I'll be here as long as you have questions. I'm not sure what I believe. I, I, got, I got one piece of your puzzle. I got another. I don't know. Whatever it is. But don't let this Easter go by and not think about what you believe and the consequences of what you believe. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we um, come and just stand in front of your word and it, it speaks to our souls, it speaks to our minds, it speaks to our past and our present and our future. And I pray, Lord, as, as in the speaking of these words, your Holy Spirit would, would move into every soul, every mind, every spirit, and help them hear the truth if it's for the first time. May today be the day they, they move 
in line under you. Or just to be encouraged for the aging, for, for all of us who are dying, that there is this day the trumpet will sound. And a perfect Paul Phillips body will be put together with a soul to live at home forever with you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.